Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 392. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 392 you're listening to. My guest today is Grammy-nominated engineer and mixer Rachel Moore, who is based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And Rachel primarily works with T-Bone Brunette. And as a result, she has worked with people like Robert Plant, Alison Krauss, Elvis Costello, Jessica Chastain, and many, many others. But she's also got a very busy freelance schedule as well. So we're going to talk to her all about that. She comes to us as a referral from former WCA guest Colton Lee. So I want to thank Colton for the recommendation. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation very much. Rachel Moore coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about Sonic Space. Just got back from a two-week trip in the United Kingdom. I was up in um, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Liverpool, Northern Wales, Oxford, and then London. Family trip. Got a chance to see uh, one of my remote mixing clients, but I also got to hang out, of course, with former WCA guest and mastering engineer Ian Shepard in London. That was a treat. But along the ways, I was really struck at a couple things. This is not unique to the United Kingdom or Europe or anywhere else in the world. It's just, it's a common thing. And I just happened to notice it on this trip. And that is sonic space, the space that people take up uh, when they are doing things in their daily lives. Uh, the most problematic thing for me that I'm extra sensitive to, I don't know why, is the whole cell phone thing. We were in a restaurant in uh, Glasgow and it was a very quiet restaurant when we got there. You know, everything was very chill. And, you know, we'd been looking around for a place to eat. And the kids, I think, were kind of tired of eating pub food, as were we. And we came across one pub. It was just insane in there. And we were like, no, 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 that's not going to work. Let's go find someplace quiet. So we found this restaurant. We go in, it's very chill. And they're playing kind of not Muzak versions of songs, but they're playing kind of like recreations, reinterpretations of songs in kind of a, I don't know, a jazzy kind of way, uh, a vocal jazz kind of way. It's almost like if Diana Krall redid a bunch of tunes, except it wasn't as, you know, as well done as Diana Krall would do anything. And so there we are, we're listening to this, these, this music and it's fine. But then this uh, couple comes in, they sit next to us, they've got uh, a younger child with them. And I, I get it, younger children, you sometimes, you know, parents these days, they pacify them. So these people had the kid with them and they've got uh, the iPad or the cell phone. The kids just got, you know, some loud cartoon going. That's on our left. And then this big group of people comes in on our right and they are playing each other tunes and showing each other videos and they all have their phones out and you know the phones are just blaring in stereo on either side of us so that's the cell phone thing i was noticing variations of that theme everywhere it was driving me nuts and it makes me much more sensitive about it you know if i have something on my phone the minute it starts to make noise i you know silent my make my phone silent because i just can't stand dealing with that in public from others so i try to be you know, more conscientious about it myself. The other sonic space thing to bring up too on this trip was 
when Ian Shepard and I met, we were at a, a Hilton Hotel in London, and every place we went, we were trying to do a video call with some some friends of ours for a Friday call that we typically do. And finding a spot was really tough because every place we went, it was just music blaring at kind of unusually high volumes. And you know, we went to uh, so we went to the front desk and we said, "Hey, we want to do this video call." And they said, "Oh, you could go up to the uh, the executive office space, whatever." And they gave us a key card and we went in and we looked around and we're like, "Huh, this doesn't seem like this is going to work because there's music everywhere." We said, "Could we go in this conference room area?" And they said, "Uh, yeah, you can, uh, but we got to charge you for it." And I said, "Okay, well, what is that going to cost?" "Oh, we don't know. You'll have to go to the front desk and ask." wasn't exactly ideal and they also indicated that music was still playing in that space as well so while we would have been free of other people listening in on our conversation we wouldn't have been free of the music and then we went down into the bar just to sit and you know have a drink and uh, chat with each other because ian and i had never met in person we've been talking on zoom for years which is you know i guess just the way things are these days so we go in there and we sit down we find a quiet spot start talking and then the music comes on and we're sitting in a corner. So of course the low frequencies are just blaring at a, at a high volume. And uh, I think the looks on our faces and my immediate reaction of jumping up and walking towards the bar caused the bar manager to go, I'm turning it down. I, I understand it's too loud, but even still, you know, it's like, ah, I could have done without it. And this is a common theme. It seems everywhere I go, there's always some kind of music playing in the background there's always people with cell phones and that ability to get some freedom from sonic intrusion is really becoming harder, it seems. And so it really makes me treasure when I go into places that are super quiet and I don't have to listen to anything, anybody's, you know, personal conversations on their phones. Like I say, it's, it's just harder to come across that. Which brings me to the thing that I love about uh, not only the UK, but Europe in general. And that is the concept of the quiet train. So you go on a train and generally there's a car, at least one, that you can count on that is categorized as a quiet train. And the expectation there, of course, is that nobody's going to really be chatting too much. It's not going to be crazy loud. And that is a real treat in itself because not only do you get, you know, the quiet experience of traveling across, you know, beautiful countryside, but you're not, you know, being bombarded by people's cell phones and extraneous music that's playing in the background. So, yeah, I get it. It's a bit of an old man rant. And maybe those of you who are much younger than me don't have a problem with this, but it seems to be happening more and more. And when you take the environmental things that are just going on naturally, just, you know, man-made sounds, whether it's, you know, trucks rumbling outside, you know, idling, uh, buses, people, daily activity, construction, etc. And then you combine it with the extra things that people do, the cell phones, the music, people talking louder because they can't hear themselves. It really starts to become pretty crazy. So something to consider in your travels as you go, ask yourself, are you contributing to this environmental noise? And are you okay with it? I mean, it's not really a big, you know, mystery to figure out or quandary that we we have to i'm saying we have to solve but it is a factor and i'm curious if those of you out there are 
affected by it as much as I am. Maybe it's because we all listen to music or, or, or audio very intently. Uh, maybe it's just because we like to hear th pleasant things and a lot of these things I'm talking about are very unpleasant. Hard to say, but I'm curious what you all think. So send me a message, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Obviously you can reach out to me on the other platforms, LinkedIn or Instagram message, uh, however you want to do it. Send me a message. Let me know if this bugs you or am I just being a crazy grumpy old man? Let me know. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You can talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Rachel Moore here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you came as a recommendation from our mutual friend, Colton Lee. Love him. He's a really good friend of mine. How do you know him? How do I know him? 
I can't remember how I know him, but somehow he got on my radar. We made contact with one another. And then next thing you know, he was on the show and we talked a little bit after the show, just random calls about Dolby Atmos questions that he had for me. And then he said, oh, you know, you got to have Rachel on. So, uh, yeah, he was one of the very first people I met in Nashville about six months after moving there. And we just instantly clicked and we've always been in each other's corners and I'm so thrilled for what he's doing in Arizona and yeah, huge, huge fan of his. <laughs> well, let's, let's get to the, the beginnings of it. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Texas and I was into music growing up, was classically trained. I played flute for 12 years and thought I wanted to be a concert flautist. And then I realized I do not want to do that, <laughs> <laughs> but I knew, I knew I wanted to be a music in some way. And so I thought about it and then didn't even really know what an engineer did. And I knew I wanted to produce and work with artists. And then it became, well, I want to learn everything that it takes to do that. And so it became very interesting to me to be an engineer and learn all the ins and outs of recording. And that's mainly what I do these days, but I really love it. And I, it's really gratifying to be able to execute people's visions and, and see their face light up when you... <laughs> do what they want correctly. <laughs> when they hear it back and they go, yes, yeah. that's me. <laughs> yeah. Where in Texas? North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Went to high school in Arlington, lived in Fort Worth for a bit, and honestly thought I would end up in Austin, but Nashville just felt comfortable to me. It felt felt kind of like Austin, and there was a lot going on there, so I, I moved there and just jumped in. Those are two great, great cities, for sure, yeah. to choose from. Connect the dots for me about how did the recording really enter your world and how did you start to make inroads professionally? I like threw out breadcrumbs for myself, I think. I, it was like tiny little steps like, okay, let me see if I can do this. Okay, let me see if I can do this. I kind of gave myself like six months at a time. I, I went to full sale and that's how I kind of got my feet wet and did that program, got a bachelor's in music production, got my feet wet there and, and it was like, okay, let me just get through this program and see if I like it. And I still really liked it. And then it was like, okay, let me go to Nashville and see what I can do. And within six months, I got an internship with Jakir King. And that's how I met Colton. And he was amazing, amazing mentor. And so then, yeah, it became like, if I can just do this one little step, I'll keep going type thing. And luckily, I've been in Nashville eight years now. <laughs> Tell me about the takeaways from working with Jakir. Well, you know, it, he was a hero of mine before I even moved to Nashville. And the fact that our paths aligned was really great. And, you know, it's one of those things of you have someone on a pedestal, they're your superhero, hero, and sometimes you're like, oh, no, I don't want to see the cracks. Like, maybe they're not as cool or whatever. But he was just as amazing as you would expect him to be. And he was so good with just wanting to help me and teach me. And, and he said, after I worked with him, he would help me do anything. And he did. And he helped me get a job at a studio in Nashville, Sound Emporium. And I worked there for five years. Yeah, I still, he still checks in on me and I still talk to him and he's amazing. I had a rant on the podcast a few episodes back talking about how much I've been helped over the years by my fellow audio professionals. It's a reassuring thing to have that support system that, you know, you can call on somebody. Do you feel the same? Absolutely. That's that's actually probably one of my favorite things about working in the music industry, particularly in Nashville. Um, I've heard it's different in different cities, but there is such a community and 
the the people that I've surrounded myself with, we want to help each other and and reach out and and root each other on and. I really love that. And it, Colton's one of those people, but I have numerous people that just want to see each other succeed. And if I'm not right for this gig, here's this person right here. And I, I love that. I love the musicians, the producers, the engineers, like it's a little community and everyone knows everyone. And I really love that part, actually. Prior to Sound Emporium, what challenges did you encounter? So I, I interned at Blackbird. And honestly, I... I don't really take no as an answer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, I mean, are they challenges or are they just like the store closes? I'll just crawl through this window over here. But, you know, I was just persistent, I guess. I don't like to harp on this aspect of it, but <laughs> I definitely ran into in the beginning, not everyone wanted to hire a girl. Yeah. That's not all the time, but. Did anyone ever say that to your face? I don't hire women. Not exactly in those words. I, I <laughs> I've had some weird comments, yeah. But yes, the bottom line was that, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. But, you know, I, I realized that's them. It's something to do with them, not me. And it's only led me to people who, I have so many people that just are so accommodating and welcoming to me. I work for, mainly these days, T-Bone Burnett. And he has been such a huge advocate for me. And he really opened my eyes because, honestly... So when I left Sound Emporium, I always had the goal of finding a producer to work under, I think. That was always, that mentorship was always, always wanted to find someone with way more experience to keep learning. I, I just always want to be a sponge mm-hmm. and keep working. You know, I, I was running into people not wanting to work with a girl 14 hours a day, you know. Hmm. And then I ran into T-Bone and he, it's not an issue whatsoever. So, yeah. Well, I definitely want to dig into the working relationship with T-Bone, but Tell me about Sound Emporium. What was the takeaway from that experience? Right. So I worked there as a staff engineer, and that was another choice I made as far as being a sponge. Where am I going to be exposed to the most things and experience all kinds of music, all kinds of people? And so I did that, and the hours were long. The pay was not always amazing, but it's like, oh, man, I learned so much, and the networking was invaluable. and. I learned so many different perspectives. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. And then I assisted people from all over the world, all over the country, and then got to see so many different things. And yeah, that was my biggest takeaway was I feel like I saw more than just if you only worked for one person forever. Mm -hmm. And it also, it let me know like the things I do want to do, the things I don't want to do. It definitely made me well-rounded for sure. I'm always curious, you know, like how... Did you survive? Were you working other jobs? Was it tough to pay the rent? Was it... When I left college, they said, you know, the statistic is 75% of the people that set out to work in the music industry bail within five years because of money. And so when I moved to Nashville, I knew ahead of time, I prepared myself. I said, I'm not going to let money be the issue or be the reason why I quit this if I do quit it. So I didn't make $1 for a while. But then I got side jobs. Yeah. I just did anything. I said yes to anything and everything. I edited drum samples on the side for that sound. I learned how to tune pianos. And so I did that for a while. And that actually ended up being a really great thing as well. I met a lot of people through that. It helped my ears. And I ended up tuning a lot of the major studios in town for a while. I actually just let go of doing that last year because I got busy enough. But I actually really enjoyed doing that. So it was like whatever I needed to do to keep going. Like I said, if I was going to move out of Nashville or go into something else, I never wanted money to be the issue. So 
you just do what you have to do, you know. Wow, piano tuning. That's that's yeah. a heavy duty thing because I mean that you just can't screw that up. Like right before a session, you're tuning the piano. You better know what you're doing. How did you learn how to do that? Well, I ran into the piano tuner that tuned a fair amount of the studios in town. And I asked him, would he ever teach me how to do it? I, I didn't know if you needed to go to a school or certification or whatever. And he said, you know, I can teach you. It'll probably take you about six months to get fast enough to tune for a session. And that's what you should be shooting for. You need to be able to tune a piano within an hour. And I said, okay. And so I started following him around and he taught me. And then he connected me with a church that's local. And they had all these terrible little spinet pianos in every single one of the Sunday school rooms. And he said, just go up there and tune when you have time off and you'll get better on those pianos because they're not great. (laughs) And he said, whenever you time yourself and you get to an hour, let me know and I'll start setting you up with people. And I was like, okay. So yeah, it took a few months and I did that. And then I could do it in the mornings. I could schedule it. I mean, it got to where I was tuning studios, which wasn't expected. And then artists, houses, producers. And that was the other thing too. It was funny because I would go to these people's houses and most of them are in the music industry. And I'd be like, oh, by the way, I engineer. And then that was another conversation that kind of ended up happening, you know? So it ended up being a great networking tool that was unexpected. What a great skill to have. Yeah. Like I said, it ended up working out really well. I It proved my ears for sure. And there are numerous times that I'm on a session and they're like, oh, the note slipped. If only we could tweak that real quick and I still have my lever in my car. I just go grab it. Wow. And do that. Yeah. So it, it was fun. I think in this industry, thinking outside of the box and being open to whatever tends to work in your favor. And so I always try to do that. And I think that was a super smart move because I think a lot of people would think, okay, I'm just going to go like get a coffee shop job just to right. bring in extra income. And it's not really that great of an income. Right. What was funny is I was already working 100 hours a week at the studio, you know, so I couldn't really go get like another job. I was already working a lot. So I needed to work more. But I am happy with how I wouldn't change anything. It's definitely made me hardier. It's definitely made me appreciate things for sure. Let me ask you about this particular aspect. So you're fresh to Nashville Where do you figure out where to live? Who do you connect with? How do you get settled? Oh, man. Yeah, I moved to Nashville by myself. Didn't know anyone. And I didn't. I just kind of figured it out. I think I found an apartment. And then I actually, a friend of a friend in the music industry, rented a place from him and just figured it out. But it was was fun. Like I said, everyone in the music industry is down to help each other here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. You just take it step by step. Just... One person leads to the next person leads to the next person. Yeah. And like I said, I moved to Nashville telling myself I'll give it six months and see where it goes. And I've been there eight years now. So it was always one thing after the other. And my only bar was if I can say that at this point in time, I'm doing better than this point last year, then I'm doing okay. So let's talk about T-Bone. How did that come about? He came through Sound Emporium about four years ago and... It was a funny thing because he's this elusive character, right? He has this reputation for, you know, he wears his sunglasses and people don't know much about him and and that's by design and people were scared of him. It was funny. And so it was offered up to some people that he was doing a, a really big record there and it was offered up to some other people to work with him and they turned it down because it was going to be this huge tape session. They were going to order 40 reels of tape 
and there were rumors that he worked till five in the morning and that kind of thing. And I said, put me in there, you know, like I'm terrified, but put me in there. You know? yeah. And it ended up not being tape because they were like, it's hard to find tape these days, especially that many reels. And he doesn't work that late anymore. And he is lovely. He's amazing. And so I got in the room with him and then it became when he would come to town, do stuff with him. And then right before COVID, he moved to Nashville permanently. And he reached out to me and said, I'm here. I need help. None of my guys in LA can get on a plane. Will you help me? And we've just hit the ground running since then. And so it's been about two and a half years, almost three years that I've been working with him. And I can't say enough good things about him. Every day is a masterclass. Yeah, I bet. What's the mindset that you carry in a session for T-Bone? What are you thinking about? What's, What's the goal for you? The goal is to be three steps ahead of him in any way that I can. But he told me one time, he said, the way that you make people feel in a room and the vibe that you bring and the way you make everyone feel comfortable makes you invaluable. And when he said that, I was a little insecure, obviously, like working with him, his engineer, who's also a dear mentor of mine, Mike Persante, I look up to him so much and he's worked with him for 20 plus years. I was like, I don't have 30 years experience. What the heck am I going to do? And him saying that to me made me just rest sure a little bit that, okay, I can bring something to the table. It may not be 30 years of experience, but I can make people feel good. That kind of made me relax a little bit. And so that's always my goal is to just keep everyone happy in the room and do my job. Does he have a particular aesthetic that he likes to achieve and in terms of sonically what he's going for that you have to kind of subscribe to? Or do you bring your own techniques to the table? Yes and yes. He does have a thing, but he is also very open to what people bring to the table. He actually likes and appreciates that I don't do everything exactly as the previous engineers he's worked with. Because he said if he wanted that, he would hire them. And so I take that to heart. And he really is great about hands-off and letting me do what I do. And, And if he doesn't like it, he'll tell me. But I also know his sound somewhat. I've listened to a lot of his records and try to go for that. But it's a very nice symbiotic relationship. So does he ever say, yeah, I don't like that sound. Could we use this mic, this distance? Or does he get specific? Sometimes, yeah. And he certainly knows gear. He came up 17 years old recording bands in high school on a UA console straight to lathe. And he knows gear and he knows microphones and he knows EQs and he will grab EQs himself and he's well-versed in all that kind of stuff. He loves the recording process. He can be hands-on, yeah. As far as commitment, I'm assuming that you you all aren't working like every single day, right? So, (laughs) oh, oh, are you? I mean, we've had a very busy stint the past six to eight months for sure. He's working on multiple projects at the moment, but... It's fun. We spent a week in New York and then immediately flew to L.A. and then did a week. Yeah, he, he constantly has balls in the air. He's a busy man. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. 
So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Does he go to just have, have different sessions running in different places? And then does he yeah. use you as well as his other engineer? Yes. Yeah, he'll have stuff on the on the West Coast as well as in Nashville and sometimes in New York at the same time. So he has multiple teams, yeah. Wow. What are the what are the things you do not do in a session with T Bone Burnett? Ooh. Probably lose your cool. I don't know. I would we're creating art, so it's like we should be chill. I don't know. The vibe is everything, as it should be. Uh huh. I guess I was leaning towards, is it like, you know, no cell phones or? No. I mean, he, he's so, he loves to give people the space to just be themselves. Probably why he's so successful. <laughs> <laughs> just letting people be themselves. That's his thing. He, he told me the biggest part of producing is just getting out of the way, which I think is such a, I, I've really taken that to heart. I love that there was so much mystique and fear. I, I feel like that's what it is. When you don't know something about someone, you automatically fear them, right? But it's awesome. I try to live more that way as well as far as like, let people guess about you. I don't know. And I love that you just dove in and discovered none of this is true. Right. Yeah. He's actually an amazing, lovely human being. Now, you also are freelancing outside yes. of working for t bum Yes. <laughs> Yeah. It goes back to like, I don't know how to work one job. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm, I'm mixing on the side. I'm thinking about diving into the film industry on the side, mm. as far as like music supervising and, and scoring potentially. And then working three, four plus projects with T-Bone. Yeah. I work a lot. I don't know how to not work. <laughs> how do you manage your time and keep, and keep all those clients happy, including T-Bone? Oh, you prioritize for sure. And I try to be really honest with people and keep them updated. If I need to push something back, I, I try to let them know as soon as I know. Most of the people that I work with are, are really understanding if I do need to shuffle stuff around. But I think communication is the biggest thing, trying to be honest with people. People are pretty understanding if you stay in contact with them. And, and it's usually if they just don't hear from you that they get you know, a little upset. But I always approach this industry like a customer service industry as well. And so I always look at trying to keep the client happy, whoever it is. Do you have any management? No. I've been told that maybe I need to look into that, but no, I don't at this moment. I wonder how it would change with T-Bone if, if management gets involved and then 
does it make it more complex? Is it going to get in the way? Because right now it's like you're 100% in control and you can know what the schedule is and how you want to deal with things. It would be interesting because, yeah, I definitely have what is priority in my brain and it would be interesting how a manager would handle that. But yeah, we'll see. That can be down the road, still figuring it out. Now, do you have your own setup, your home studio, anything like that? I have a room in my house, yes. T-Bone and I, he loves to mix on a console. So when we're mixing and working, we're in a studio. Mm. But these days, for stuff outside of him, I'm mixing mainly in the box just for recalls and stuff. And if I'm traveling, <laughs> the theme for me this year is just taking a rig with me everywhere <laughs> and setting it up on a dining room table or anywhere. And so I'm largely in the box these days and my rig keeps getting more compact <laughs> because I'm just traveling so much at the moment. Yeah. Tell me about your rig. What do you take with you when you travel? So right now I have a Mac Mini and then I mix through an Apollo Duo. And then I have a satellite. Then I bring some speakers with me. So if I'm traveling, I will try to mix on headphones, but I just bought the little Genelex. I can't remember the model number, but they've actually are pretty impressive with how well, you know, they're tiny. They fit in a suitcase. Great for a hotel room. Yeah. So I mix on those and then, yeah, just bring all my plugins with me all my iLocks and stuff. And the goal there is is to try to handle mixing duties for people remotely. Yes. Okay. To kind of keep that ball moving. <laughs> mixing in a console, very different from mixing in the box. Tell me about doing that with T-Bone and how, how you all deal with recalls. Do you deal with recalls? Yes. I take lots of pictures and that's how we do recalls. I'm thankful I live in a world with iPhones because I know... <laughs> You know, it was not the case uh, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, maybe. So I take a lot of pictures when I'm working with him. But with him, when we're mixing, we do use a lot of analog gear on inserts and that kind of thing. But I do integrate plugins as well, because that's just what I, I know. And it just varies. Sometimes I'll have my normal mix bus on the insert of the console or if there's a fair child in the room or something, I don't know. It varies. I don't have a set way of how I work with him. Just about every project we've worked with, I've done it a little differently. We work in rooms that don't always have automation. So a lot of times we'll just do static mixes on the board and then I'll, I'll write the automation in Pro Tools, that kind of thing. But he loves he loves to grab the faders and, and, and do the things himself. His ears are bar none. So you're using Pro Tools as the playback, running through the console. Mm -hmm. I assume that your exposure to working on a console mostly came from your time at Sound Emporium. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you know, in school a little bit, and then Jakir mixes on a console, or he did back in the day. For others that are getting into this, and they want to, you know, not be a statistic, as we discussed earlier, you know, 75% mm -hmm. of blah, blah, blah. What would you suggest to, to the up-and-comers how to avoid becoming that statistic? And what do you need to do to stay in it? I get this question a lot, and I try to say, Basically what I said earlier, which is be open to anything. When you first start, say yes to everything. Even if it feels like you can't see where it might go. Like I said, the piano tuning thing. I mean, <laughs> the people I met. That was brilliant. I mean, I started it strictly as a monetary thing, and then it turned into more than I ever expected. You just don't know. So just say yes to everything and be open to anything. And I think the more narrow your ideas are maybe is where people tend to dig a hole a little bit. When I first moved to town, I didn't 
care what type of music I worked on. I worked on anything and everything. And then as time went on, I decided more of, I, I prefer this music over this music. This is the vein that I feel like I do better in. But I'd say the more open you are to anything and everything, the more possibilities, you know, I think you just have to be open. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the financial management end of it. What lessons have you learned along the way that you can pass along to others? Like how to, how to deal with money as an audio professional? Because there's a lot of potential temptations of, oh, I'm going to spend all my money on all these plugins. Yeah. And then I'm broke and I can't pay the rent. Yeah. I've definitely seen that happen where people buy all these amazing rigs up front and you're like, wow, that's really great. And they have no work. That's an interesting thing. And I've, I've talked about this with people as well. The one thing someone passed along to me that I found really helpful in the beginning was they said, as a freelancer and, and someone in the music industry, you should think of your income as a triangle. Always have try to have three sources of income so that if one or two are slow, you still have that third one. And so that's what I always try to do. And I always, always keep that in the back of my head now. I'm looking at potential streams of revenue outside the music industry at the moment, but I just feel like your brain has to always be in that mode because we're freelancers of just always trying to have multiple streams of revenue. Because I know some people that move to town and I want to be a mixer. That's all I want to do. And yeah, I, I, I want to do a lot of things, but I think it just goes back to being open. And as far as the gear thing, for me, I've always completely supported myself. And so it was difficult at times for me to watch other people like buying all these fun things and me trying to stock up my money or, or be smart about it. But I I feel like the best answer is you know when you're going to need this stuff. Like, like don't get something until you know you need it. There is a train of thought. Some people think that buying all of that stuff legitimizes them and maybe will help bring in work. And I don't subscribe to that. I think your skills and, and networking should get you through the door. And, and then if you find yourself needing that piece of gear you want really bad, you should buy it. But I, I've seen people fall into that of, if I have this amazing looking mix room, people are going to hire me. And I don't know if that's always true. Hmm. Good advice. Have your audio mentors also been business mentors? Yeah, somewhat. I'm always keeping my eyes on people who are about 15 to 20 years ahead of me to see what they're doing and seeing how they retire and how they, just what different stages of this industry look like. And yeah, they, they do the same thing. They have multiple streams of revenue. It's funny. A lot of people in the music industry do real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how to exactly answer that, but I, I'm constantly watching them. Is there any key advice from T-Bone or Jakir or anybody else that, that you care to share? on the business end of things that people just said, look, let me tell you something. Let me give you a piece of advice. Well, I mean, I don't know if this is strictly business advice, but it's just being a good human being, you know, and, mm -hmm. and don't burn bridges and put your head down and work. And I think both of them also agree and don't be so focused on trying to please everyone. Mm -hmm. I know both. that's kind of a philosophy, I believe, for both of them. But I just try to focus on what I'm doing and myself and, and try not to compare myself to others and work, you know? Yeah. Well, for the audience, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Rachel's website, which... I don't have a website. You don't have a website. Okay, well, I'm not going to put that in the show notes. <laughs> just my Instagram probably is the best way. Okay, I will definitely put a link to that. Did we not talk about anything that you wanted to bring up? 
I think so. Yeah, I really, I always enjoy asking people starting out what they can do. I really enjoy mentoring people when I can and getting coffee with them and helping them and especially girls getting into this, you know, Mm. representation is everything. And so I always am open to let them pick my brain or whatever, because, you know, I love Sylvia Massey and Susan Rogers and Trina Shoemaker. And there's more women coming in, but we're we're trying to... Trying to ratchet the representation up there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I'm open to anyone getting into the music industry. It's such a tough thing. I enjoy those questions. Like if anyone listening, you know, trying to get into the music industry. Do you ever look back and go, Oh, I should have played the flute. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually don't. Well, first of all, I enjoy, I love playing an instrument. It's such an outlet, just music in general. And that wasn't what it was. I miss being a part of something bigger as far as that, but it was the lifestyle as far as you audition for a a symphony or whatever. and And you have to make it in that symphony or that city or you have to move and then when you're not doing that you are teaching and funny enough it's like I'm a people person but music education was never a huge draw for me I think I saw my poor band directors harassed as in high school and I just never wanted to do that yeah Will Kennedy was who works with Matt Wallace in Los Angeles was on a past show and he kind of really put it well he he just said you know When you're teaching, you're in the business of teaching. And if that's not what you really want to be doing, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. I adored all of my music teachers. There's a few that really stood out to me growing up, but it's not for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. I don't think I've thanked you yet. But thank you for being here. It's great to talk to you and really fascinating to hear about your journey and your time with T-Bone. I've, I've, I've learned a few things here in our talk, so I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, well, you take care. Thanks, you too. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Rachel Moore here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Uh, Remember, if you got a guest suggestion, head on over to workingclassaudio.com and fill out the guest suggestion form, and we will consider the person that you are suggesting. But that's all for me today. I want to thank my crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and the great voice of Mr. Chuck Smith there at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Check us out on social media like Instagram. And until next time... Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss, 
you know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. 